Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Welcome to another episode. It feels like it's been a while since we've talked to all of you, but so happy to be back on the air talking Bengals football with all of you. And I, gosh, John, I don't know what, what there's to talk about this week. There's just, you know, it's the off season. There's just nothing to talk about. And uh, I don't know. I guess we're just going to have to kill some time, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, was, wasn't there like a football game? This weekend, there's, there's a couple, but there was like one, like a couple nights yeah, ago. There might be, there might have been. We'll uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some potential free agent targets this week for the Bengals as we look to the off season, as well as continue our prospect watch in a little bit of a different way than we have normally done so far. So we've got a lot to get to tonight. We're going to try and answer some of these questions from fans and comments that are coming through. Uh, so get get those to us um, how you can. But in case you're new to this program, he's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. Welcome to the Orange and Black Insider. Our weekly show is on the air once again, and it is great to talk to all of you. If you are, as I, as I mentioned, if you are new to this program, get the show wherever you get your audio podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, all of those platforms carry it. We're also on YouTube, and all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com. This program is part of the SB Nation Cincy Jungle podcast channel, which includes this show, Orange is the New Black, as well as Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk. So excited to be part of that slate of shows. John, first of all, I need you to, I need you to show everybody the shirt you're wearing, because that is pretty epic uh i don't know how soon after the game you had that thing made but uh, i did I not assume you had it made. I, did, I did not i did not anthony oh. the, the fine people at cincy shirts which is a relatively new um merchandising store in downtown cincinnati I have a few locations the one i went to was on wow well, i don't even remember the street uh it's an otr basically and i saw the shirt being plugged by mo egger who had a shirt on like literally Tuesday after the national championship game. I'm like, yeah, I got to get this shirt. So I ordered it online and I realized that, wait a minute, I'm going to be on YouTube on Wednesday and it'd be great if I was wearing the shirt by then. So I went down to the store and my guy, Timothy behind the counter hooked me up, canceled that order, got me a shirt in store. The fine folks at Cincy shirts will be happy to take your order for the smoking Joe Burrow black and white shirt. They have the short sleeve one they have like the baseball one with like the kind of like three quarter long sleeve style. So, I, anytime anything cool happens in Cincinnati, they'll put it on a shirt and they'll take care of you. So definitely, definitely hit those guys up. All right. Well, I guess we could say that 
part of what we're talking about is by CincyShirts.com. And another sponsor might be what's in that red solo cup of yours, my friend. Uh, yeah, how many, how many Bud Light seltzers deep are you tonight? I, I don't know what you're talking about. This is just strawberry juice in the solo cup. We are on, this is a family show. Yeah. Anthony. Yeah. I don't know. By the, by the way, I don't know if you know, uh, when we publish episodes to YouTube, this uh, this is probably something we should talk about off the air, but whatever. Uh, when we publish episodes to YouTube, it says, is this meant for kids? Is this kid appropriate? All that kind of stuff. When we're talking about Bud Light Seltzer and Red Solo Cups, I don't know if that's kid-friendly, but that's okay. That's okay. I, I am under the weather. Otherwise, I may have been... Uh, I may have been joining you with uh, some of the, the seltzer action, the adult seltzer action, but I hope you're enjoying it. I tell you what, whatever, whatever's in this cup does not taste like alcohol. I'll just tell you that right now. Sometimes that's good. And sometimes that's extremely dangerous, but either way, it looks like you're enjoying yourself in your new shirt, your uh, adult beverages. And yeah, I don't know. Let's get to it though. Let's let the, let the Joe Burrow love fest begin, John. Where, where to begin on this uh, on this whole thing? Uh, yet again, the guy shows up on the big stage. And I got to tell you, for those of you who didn't maybe did not watch the national championship, maybe didn't see the beginning of the game, it was a rough beginning. And it was, it was dicey for Burrow at the beginning, getting hit a lot, a lot of pressure, having to move off of spots a little earlier than he would, he would have want to, uh, wanted to, missed passes, some errant throws. But as he has done all year, he got into a rhythm. He hit some big plays. And what do you know? 460 plus yards. Uh, what was it? Five, six total touchdowns? Five mm-hmm. five through the air and, and one through the ground. John, college football playoffs. 14 touchdowns. 14 touchdowns in two games. Unbelievable. And zero interceptions. Just added to the resume. Like, th- this, is, this is Brett Venable's defense. Last year against Alabama, against Tua at the time when he was being propped up as the, the consensus number one pick for this year. They, they shut him down. Like Tua had his worst game of his college career against that defense. And for the most part, that entire defense was brought back aside from a, a few players on the on the defensive line. Yeah, Clemson got really lucky in the first couple drives by pinning them against the five-yard line, really limited what LSU could do. Um, they had, Burrow had the, his first throw of the game was called back, unfortunately, but it was just the pinnacle of Burrow just escaping pressure and throwing – to his right and throwing 40 yards down the field. And of course he got called back. And at that point you started to wonder, okay, LSU's out of rhythm. Now Trevor Lawrence got a touchdown a couple drives later. Now they're playing from behind for the first time in, since like, I think late October. And then once they finally got comfortable and they got some space to work with, it was just, it was just like clockwork. It was like the first 14 games that we saw this year. It's like whenever Burrow does this now, it, it's, I, I felt this back in late November. Like anytime he does, he has performances like this. It's just not surprising anymore. It's literally just the expectation. And that's so insane for a second year starter, a transfer going into a new school, a school and an offense that has never in its life imagined any type of passing offense or any type of just offensive identity in general like this. And they just lit up the number one defense in college football. One of the best defenses that we've seen in this century of college football, Brett Venables can easily be an NFL defense coordinator. That defense Easily has multiple draftable players on it, and it just didn't matter. Like like LSU's offensive line got battered throughout the game for the most part, and they, they won like the offensive line Joe Moore Award for best offensive line of the year. And he dealt with pressure just like he has all year, and he just didn't. He he just was never faced, and his accuracy was off the charts again. 
deep down the field. He did have a couple misses in there. He did have a couple drops. His completion percentage was just a pathetic 63% for this game, which unfortunately cost him the record for, I think it cost him the Cole McCoy's completion percentage record, but first quarterback to get 60 touchdowns in a season, Heisman Trophy, national championship. I don't know if when you wait the, the, the supporting cast that he had against like other supporting cast for the greatest college season for a quarterback, but it's unquestionably up there and, and you can't dispute it at this point. Yeah, when you look at when you look at uh I've put this up on our on our screen here. It's a tweet from me because I'm I'm that self-absorbed that I have to put my own stuff up. But I did the math. 14 touchdowns, 12 passing, two rushing, 956 yards, zero interceptions in the two college football playoff games. Finishes the season, John. 5,600 plus, almost 5,700 passing yards, 65 total touchdowns, 60 of them through the air, and only six interceptions. And then, of course, he's got the Heisman National Championship Trophy and the title game MVP honors to his name. So he kind of hit the trifecta, had, I would say, the best season we have ever seen from a college football quarterback. Um, you, You know, he maybe didn't do as much with his legs that a Lamar Jackson, a Cam Newton and others who had great see Vince young. Some of those, some of those guys that had the multidimensional thing burrow does more with his legs than you may think on the surface, but all in all, this has to be the most impressive. I mean, at least in the last what 25, 50 years season by a college football quarterback than that I can think of. For for the th- for the metrics that matter in terms of translating to pro success, it's by far the most impressive because not only is it a ten to one touchdown interception ratio, a seventy six percent completion percentage. This is against one of the tougher schedules that we've seen in the modern era. Like this is against, I think, seven AP top ten schools. They beat all four of the preseason, t- um, all four of the top uh, four preseason teams for like the preseason poll. They they finished the season against Georgia, who was like number five at the time, against Oklahoma, number four, and against, again, the best defense in the nation in Clemson. They never blinked. Like Burrow's, I guess, worst game, quote unquote, worst, was against Auburn, where he only had a passing touchdown and interception, and I think only like in the low 70% for completion percentage. But you just look at his game log, and it just looks like, I think Steve Palazzolo for PFF said it best. It just looked like he played an FCS schedule. It was just consistent in these remarkable ways that we just had never seen. He got Joe Brady a job. Like I like I know there's there's a lot about Joe Brady making you know Joe Burrow into what he is, but it, it's more of a symbiotic relationship because I, I, I thought midway through this game that some of the throws that Burrow was making, he was just bailing out that offense in general. And and I, I think it was a chess match going on between Brady and Venables on, on the other side of the ball. And Venables was winning for the most part, and it was just up to Burrow. Just, you know, from this position that LSU in general just has not been in all year, playing from behind, playing against tight coverage, where not everything, all these concepts that they're doing are working, and he just didn't miss any throws. He just does, he, he doesn't miss when other quarterbacks do. And there's a lot of NFL quarterbacks that would go against the scheme, the talent that, that Clemson has on defense. It would not have nearly the same success. And you're thinking, like, midway through the game or, like, you know, not even into the, fir- the fourth quarter, you're thinking – you know, Burrow has been all right, but he's been kind of off and you still get his stats. He's like already eclipsing 400 yards and four touchdowns in the air. And then, you know, they end up putting 42 on them. So again, like it's, it's extraordinary. And you like, yeah, for what matters in terms of translating into the, into the pro games, this is the season to, this is the new standard of the best quarterback season that we've seen. Yeah, he really did it all. And, and, 
you know, I mentioned this earlier, John, he did some, some more, he did things with his legs more often than I think people would have given him credit for, whether that's maneuvering in the pocket, whether that's extending a play, or as we saw, you know, you said the completion percentage was lower than we have become accustomed to in 2019 from Joe Burrow. So what, is it, what does he do? He ends up running for first downs. He ends up extending drives with his legs and doing more on the ground and really showing a bit more wheels than I think a lot of people, maybe if you didn't watch a lot of the games throughout the season from Joe Burrow and you really kind of tuned in these last two, really kind of showed more on that front, I think, to the casual fan that was just tuning in. And, uh, you know, some people are saying he's the best, best prospect since Andrew Luck to come out of the draft in terms of the quarterback position. Um, you know, I, I said I see some things uh, that remind me of Peyton Manning in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, lofty expectations. There's some people who say maybe Montana, maybe Brady, all kinds of lofty expectations. But as we sit here today, and as we've said many, many times over the past few weeks, he is ripe for the taking for the Cincinnati Bengals as they sit with the number one overall pick. Um, that being said, John, inevitably, when it's when it's the Cincinnati Bengals, when they have a high pick, and when it's Mike Brown, all of that, the talking heads come out. And I'm already seeing uh, talking heads come out on the national media uh, with a certain narrative. I'm seeing some things already in our live chat. Uh, Tom Brooks in our, our live YouTube, I hear I heard on the Patriot podcast, Patriots Unfiltered, that they think Joe should boycott the Bengals because they are such a bad franchise. Um, you know, I, I'm seeing other people. I'm, I'm sick. Uh, Brian Kramer getting really tired of the trolling about the Bengals, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so let me let me play this because there's there are a couple things I want to put up on the screen. Uh, one is a is a video from everybody's favorite talking head in the national media, Stephen A. Smith, uh, talking about the Bengals, Joe Burrow, and all of the everything that goes with that. And then I've got one more thing to share, and then you and I, John, will talk about this. So bear with me as I as I set this up here, uh, this video up. Because of Mike Brown. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals are an embarrassment. Uh, they're just a horrible, horrible franchise. Uh, they're notoriously cheap. We all know this. Um, and I understand that Zach Taylor didn't have a good season, only won two games, two and 14. They've had four consecutive winning seasons after having five consecutive winning seasons under Marvin Lewis. I want to make sure no one confuses my position. I have never, nor will I ever, apologize for my position about Marvin Lewis. He deserves to be fired as head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals because I believe if you've been on the same job for 16 years and you've never won one single playoff game, it is time for a change. That does not mean I believe that Marvin Lewis shouldn't be a head coach in the National Football League. I think he would have been a really good coach for the Cleveland Browns. I just think that in the same location, at some point in time, you got to try something new if indeed you are trying to compete. The reason why Marvin Lewis lasted 16 years is because Mike Brown wasn't trying to compete. Mike Brown was sitting up there and underpaying folks all the time. It is not a quality franchise, and I think you can serve to sully and stain 
and potentially ruin a guy like you know like, like I'm with you I'm with you on that. that that's that's all I'm saying so when I'm when I'm looking when I'm looking at Joe Burrow all I'm trying to say to you is this football is a really really t- it's a real team sport you need a multitude of levels all working in concert with one another that's not going to happen in Cincinnati if we truly truly care about this Ohio native this kid Joe Burrow make sure he goes anywhere but to Cincinnati well what I'm talking that's about my point. <laughs> Okay, so you've got that from uh, Mr. Smith, who has been a notorious longtime uh, critic of the Bengals. I've got one more thing to share, and this is just, again, these two things, uh, you know, not – I'm only sharing two, but this is, as we all know, this has been a uh, kind of a chorus line of I can't believe he's going to the Bengals. I th- here's Robert Mays of the Ringer. I cannot believe we have to send this dude to Cincinnati. Obviously showing uh I, I believe it actually starts with yeah, the clip of him smoking a cigar which is on John Sheeran's shirt. Uh I cannot believe we have to send this dude to Cincinnati. Robert Mays says some things later on about, you know, I really meant the team. I didn't mean the city or the fans or anything like that. Well, you kind of lump everybody in. In terms of things that, and I know you've got a specific take on this, we're going to take on first take, I guess. Uh, based on what Stephen A. Smith said on ESPN's first take with Max Kellerman, um, look, I mean, I I understand his position with, with Marvin Lewis and all of that. But, you know, he said something that's key that I think is playing into this whole narrative. You know, the four straight losing seasons, um, that – if this was, if the Bengals were coming off of maybe one or two after that five-year playoff run, we may not have this chorus line. If you remember, John, there was a time back in 2013, 2014, 2015, where this team was praised by Mel Kuyper, by Todd McShay, by everybody, Daniel Jeremiah, about their draft prowess and all of that. Now, all of a sudden, when you start losing games, you've got more draft busts. It becomes real easy and low-hanging fruit to be critical of this. And now you're planting this idea in either fans' minds, the public, maybe even Joe Burrow's mind, that he should really rethink his landing in Cincinnati and maybe pulling Eli Manning. Pretty frustrating to listen to, especially when as a Bengals fan or as someone who follows a team, you're kind of sitting here going, you're feeling pretty good, right? You just saw this guy win a national championship. You think he's on his way. Pretty frustrating. I think you led into my thoughts on the matter, which was Joe Burrow is almost a paradox when it comes to the Bengals fan base. He represents a security in the sense that he is the one thing that can elevate this franchise into not being irrelevant anymore. And you said that, you know, five years ago, they had a five straight playoff appearances. Before that, they had a couple division titles with Carson Palmer. At the end of the day, though, regardless of the recent failures that they've had in not making the playoffs, they're still, by and large, an irrelevant NFL franchise. They are still a poorly run franchise. Those are things that are indisputable, even when someone like Stephen A. Smith says it. I don't think that that's necessarily anything new and would would have changed in their minds had they had more relative success in recent years. So Joe Burrow, now now that he's solidified, and he already did a couple weeks ago, but now that he really, really solidified his lock standing as the number one overall pick, 
Bengals fans have attached to him. They've grabbed hold of him. They're like, this this guy is ours, and there's nothing you can do to say that. And that's something I actually tweeted at the end of the national championship game. Like, you know, people are saying, you know, you, you can say all, all you want about this, but there's not a damn thing you can do about it. They're not treating down. They're taking Burrow. It's an inevitability. It's going to happen. Bengals fans have established that identity upon themselves. So he represents the security to take them from a place that they have the, to take them from the place they are now to the place that they they've, that they've never been or haven't been since like Boomer Sison was quarterback. At the same time, Joe Burrow has opened up a ton of insecurities for Bengals fans that even I wasn't aware that that existed because these jokes aren't anything new. Like Robert Mays is a fantastic guy; he's a great human being, and he's and he made a joke that basically everybody in the national media has already said because. The perception of the Cincinnati Bengals is 100% true. They are cheap. They are poorly rent. They, they, it's the same management for 30 years, and they haven't had a playoff when you can't defend that at that point, even with even with the relative success that they had five years ago. Like, those jokes aren't anything new. And now that the that Bengals fans have the sense that they can get out of irrelevancy, it, they go completely on the, on the defense. And it's equally, to me, hysterical as it is embarrassing. I, I don't understand where this insecurity is necessarily coming from. I, and I think it also just is a testament to just fandom in general. Like I've, you know, in, in recent weeks, I've just seen so many just rash cases of just tribalism. And now that the Bengals, now the Bengals fans feel like they can, that their team that doesn't really care about them can be good again because they have this asset in Joe Burrow. These same jokes now hurt a little bit more. And my advice to anybody who feels this way is just to just not take it that seriously. These are jokes. These like th- these are just things to get off for, for retweets and clicks and likes and whatever. These are not. This is not anything new that we've heard over the past however many years that you know Twitter has even existed. Like the Bengals are in the same state of relevancy as they have been since the '90s in the general eye of the public because they haven't done anything past the first week of January, and you can't dispute that. At the end of the day, it it just it just is what it is. So. Yeah, like I, I understand like your initial frustration, but just just everyone needs to just calm down. These are jokes and they're gonna have Joe Burrow to figure this out anyway. So at the end of the day, like just just take a chill pill. That's all I'm saying. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Okay, understandable. And there are a lot of different things. By the way, when you when you said inevitability that the Bengals will be selecting Joe Burrow, I think that was even 
exacerbated a bit by some recent news that Zach Taylor has contacted the Burrow family and Joe Burrow to get his butt down to the senior bowl to try and meet him at a minimum. If he's not going to play in the game, try and meet him, get to know him, get the coaching staff exposed to him. So, uh, you know, obviously they are showing very early on that they are heavily, 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 heavily interested in that kid and rightfully so. You, you mentioned this, you know, yeah, they're jokes and yeah, take it easy, take a chill pill. True. You're right. That's definitely true. However, were these was the same thing being said about the Arizona Cardinals, a team that is not really run very well just a year ago when Kyler Murray was going that the the family there that owns the Cardinals, they've been under scrutiny. Was it a couple of years back when the Rams had the first pick and they took Jared Goff and the Cronky family when they're, you know, a lot of people are pissed at them for moving and all that kind of stuff. Was this a narrative? I don't seem to remember being now granted. Maybe I'm just too close, right? Maybe I'm too close to it. And maybe I, it just, it's coming at me because my social media is Bengals focused, but I just don't remember the chorus line from national media members one day after the kid wins a national championship. I mean, 24 hours after the kid wins a national championship. Don't go there. Don't go there. Your, your career is going to die. Don't go there. Don't go there. It's a little frustrating. I, I understand that they, you know, it's clickbait. It's we're, we're playing first take stuff on our, on our show here. So I get it, but you know, I think you mentioned insecurities. There, there are a reason for it. There, there, there are reasons for that. And I don't, we've said this a bunch of times. I don't think Joe Burrow is going to be the kid that bails out and says, I'm not going to Cincinnati. But we played the Carson clip last week. How long can this marriage last if it's going to be more of the same? That I think that is, it's not so much right away he's going to want to get traded and not play for the Bengals, which by the way has happened with this team before, uh, either during the draft or after. But, uh, you know, how, how long is this marriage going to last and will it end in acrimony like many other relationships with the ownership family has has done in the, in the years past? But that's like that's like the whole that's that's why these things still happen because they saw what happened at the end of, of Carson Palmer's tenure. They basically ran him out of town. They saw how they handled Andrew Woodworth. They they're they're now seeing how it might end for AJ Green. They're seeing these great players go to Cincinnati. Most of them are if not all of them were drafted, so they didn't really have a choice in the matter. And then their their careers ended in Cincinnati on a bad note. And then somehow they managed to thrive. You know when they leave. And then this leads me to another point where it's almost it, like Bengals fans are are now having, again, going back to insecurities and whatnot, it's now this sense of entitlement where it's a sense of we deserve Joe Burrow. So like Robert Mays, when he said, you know, you know, we can't believe we're sending this guy to Cincinnati. And there's some other people saying Cincinnati doesn't deserve him. You know, that was more directed towards the franchise and, and the way that they're mm -hmm. operating. And, that, and then, you know, sometimes people can, like you said, can group the city and the fan base into it all. The fans don't deserve anything. Like, like fandom in itself is self-induced stress relative to the success that the team is. Everybody who's a fan of the Bengals has free will to change their mind. It's just a matter of they chose to invest their finances, their emotions, their spirituality. Fandom, fanat, fan comes from fanatical, which is a religious zealot. That's, that's like the origin of the word in general. It, it, it's a clinical in, insanity in a sense. And being a Bengals fan in the last 30 years 
can be classified as a clinical insanity. That's why some jerk or some clown from Ohio wants to be have medical marijuana for being a Bengals fan. Because it's, it's, it's insane at this point because nothing changes. And everybody from the 49 other states see this and they say this organization is still a joke. So I don't you're just you're just a you're just a random fan who, again, the organization has no idea you exist. And you chose to devote your love and passion for a team that has no idea who you are. You don't deserve anything. The city doesn't deserve anything. The Bengals don't deserve Joe Burrow. That's right. But it doesn't matter. Because that's not how the draft works, and that's never how the draft has worked. The draft, in a sense, is unfair because it sends the best players to the worst franchises every year. But that's the reality that we live in, and we accept it, and that's how these things go. So the the point is, Joe Burrow is going to come to Cincinnati. He's going to do his best to turn things around because he's the only thing that can turn things around. The only thing that can turn a franchise that's run like this around is a franchise quarterback that can elevate that can elevate the talent around him. That's the kind of guy that Joe Burrow is. We'll see where it goes, and we'll see if this relationship ends in a better way than it did with Palmer, Whitworth, and potentially Green now. But these narratives exist for the reasons of the past failures of past failures of this franchise and the fact that they haven't progressed past the divisional round in over 30 years. Okay, so we talked about Palmer last week and how Palmer said he was tired of basically banging his head against the wall pounding his fist on the table to get more help, invest more resources, didn't happen, okay? Cincinnati, since, hasn't really shown much in terms of change. They've added a couple of scouts here and there. New coach, finally. Uh, bigger coaching staff under Zach Taylor than, than previous with Marvin Lewis. Little things, little things, right? It's also been 17 years since the Bengals selected Carson Palmer number one overall. And we, we kind of asked this a little bit. Do you think that this ancillary noise, do you think that learning from the Palmer situation, do you think that that in any way is going to prompt any sort of change with a Joe Burrow to potentially invest more resources to protect what will be their most valuable asset since Palmer, if not even before that, do you think that there's going to be any kind of change, or do you think that it's going to be, you know, they're going to they're going to run with their same philosophy, and they're going to hope that this kid carries the franchise on his shoulders, and maybe they'll add a couple pieces here and there, and that's about it. I think it comes down to how they hit or miss on these next few drafts. I think that this draft is going to be primarily, along with drafting Burrow, trying to build around him. They're going to have more money in free agency to potentially add maybe one or two more solid names, solid starters to the list. Depending on how much they turn over the roster, that's going to that's going to impact and factor on how much how active they are in free agency with, with the typical players that they sign. But you have to think back to like you know in in the early 2010s when they were you know rolling off dra- good draft after good draft after the good, after good draft for three years after they drafted Dalton, like they didn't really need. Okay, they still needed to be active for free agency, but it didn't hurt them like it did, for, you know, in the later 2010s when they were, you know, whiffing on on drafts consistently, and specifically in the earlier parts of the in the earlier rounds. So when they were successful drafting in the early 2010s, they got away with being inactive for free agency because the roster was already in a great place. It, it set up success for the next few years. It set up right. Dalton's it set up Dalton's success. They had a good team around them. They got really lucky for being that successful at drafting. If they continue to whiff on early draft picks in the in the first couple of years after Joe Burrow or after he's been here, 
if that might spur change in terms of their philosophy and how they build around because they have to realize that they only have a, a certain amount of time before they give Burrow what at that at that time could be like a two hundred fifty dollar two hundred fifty million dollar contract. Right. It's going to be expensive to keep him with with the way that the salary cap is going up. So they only have a minimum window to invest in outside talent. But I don't think like it's possible that they could see this have this epiphany this year and somehow you know manage to buy a good team around Burrow in his first two years. I think though that uh, it. it if that happens, it's because they realize that they haven't been good at drafting for the past five years, and that's really hurt them, and they have to do more on that. But if they don't, it's going to take continual bad drafts after drafting Burrow to really, I think, spur that philosophical change. Look, I mean, you're you're totally right. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the media expects the Bengals to do with this. You know, are they are they expected to look at? Oh, you're you're right, Stephen A. Smith. Let's trade out of this pick and not draft Joe Burrow. You're right. We don't deserve him. We we're, <laughs> we're going to screw him up. I mean, I know I don't know exactly what they're trying to accomplish with that, other than generating conversation conversation in which they are. Well, he's not telling the Bengals what to do. He's, he's telling them that we have to stop this somehow. Which right. Is not, it's just you know it's not, not feasible. Not no, no, no. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's not going to happen. Absolutely not. But. Uh, We've we've said this a bunch. They need to they need to protect and edify that asset. You know, if they bring in Burrow, they, you got to give them every chance to succeed. And um, you would hope that they have learned some lessons from Carson Palmer and other situations uh, in the past that have have burned them and have earned them this reputation uh, around the league. It's just funny to me that you know because this wasn't one bad season, uh, the anomaly bad season in which the blow up was going to occur. And they, they happened to have, you know, the number one overall pick for the first time in, you know, like ever type of thing. Uh, The, the, the old narratives come back. It's just, and and it's, uh, it's interesting to, to see how much that's, that's come back into play. And look, I mean, I, I don't think Burrow's going to, say trade me or I'm not playing for you. I don't think the Bengals are going to trade out of the spot. I think Joe Burrow is going to be in Cincinnati. It's just a matter of how the Bengals end up helping out their young signal caller going forward in. And um, I think, like you said, John, I think the draft is going to be key. And one of our, one of our listeners here, uh, trying to find it here but um basically saying free agency is going to really tell us how things you know if things are changing um and and that's that's accurate that's accurate and we're going to talk a little free agency tonight but hey joe burrow impressive national championship game incredibly impressive season and he appears to be falling into the Bengals' lap here despite the chagrin of some some national media members, uh, you know, pleading their case. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this show on any number of audio platforms. Please subscribe to our channel so you make sure you get all of the most updated shows of the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network on the SB Nation's network of podcasts. You can also... Uh, catch the videos to our show on YouTube and all of our content is on cincyjungle.com. Well, we've been talking a bit about the national championship game, John. Um, 
we usually do 2020 prospect watch and name a couple, you know, some, we kind of pick one kid out of, I don't want to say thin air, but we pick some, some people just from kind of random schools, not really a rhyme or reason necessarily this week. We're going to go a little bit different. I, I, I think we wanted to do, we wanted to highlight some of the guys that really stuck out in the national championship game, not named Trevor Lawrence, not named Joe Burrow, guys who are eligible for the draft, that sort of thing. And there were quite a few on both sides of the ball. Uh, where, where'd you want to start? Um, did you, did you want to go? I know the queen kid was, was talk the linebacker out of, out of LSU had a fantastic game for the Tigers and really elevated his draft stock going forward. What do you, what do you think about him? Uh, I, the whole thing, like queen, I think is since declared for the draft and for good reason for after coming off that game, like that seemed like the obvious decision, even though it may have been made a little hastily because he's a, I think he's a true junior three years of playing experience, maybe only one year of starting experience. And the production is just not there from a profile that projects well in terms of, becoming a solid NFL player. And it's really just banking on him taking this momentum towards the end of this year and carrying it over into his rookie season, into his NFL career in, in general. But the explosion is clearly there. The athleticism is there. And I think that pops off the screen when you watch him that obviously, um, you know, that entices Bengals fans everywhere because their linebackers are still, you know, look like turtles aside from Jermaine Pratt. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the power, the hit power is there. He's just, he was able to, Staying his run fits, staying his gaps. Again, the like the lack of production from a career standpoint kind of startles me a little bit. Only 37 sold tackles and and 20 sold tackles the year before that doesn't bode well for into the long term projection. But I think this is a guy that you would bank on just getting better over time. And maybe maybe had he had stayed for a senior year, he would have produced a little bit better, and his profile would have therefore looked a little bit better. But you you bank on athleticism at the position, and you, you would hope that the end of his year kind of carries over into uh, his rookie year in, in the NFL. I don't know where he's going to get drafted. I, I've heard some people say that he's now going to be, you know, rising into the second round. If he's the pick at 33 or they trade back in the second round, pick him up. I think he he's an asset to, to covet and potentially develop into a starter, but he, you know, he's going to, he, he still has a lot to prove in my opinion, because he's only had a few, a few really good games this year. And, and the lack of production really speaks to that. Yeah. Tw- the, the big thing is the big jump in tackles for loss from last year, 11 games last year, only five tackles for loss, uh, 15 games this year, 12 tackles for loss. Three of those were sacks. So, um, you know, kind of a big jump there, a kid who, uh, you know, decent size, six, one, two thirty, uh, can, can do some things. And, um, you know, I, I like you said it's it's hard to he had a a really really nice national championship game um it's hard to gauge exactly where his trajectory is at the moment you know is it is he a, a player continuing to improve like you said or is he a guy who kind of who kind of peaked a little bit and is gonna kind of ride the lightning so to speak into the draft and uh you know kind of help his help his professional career and maybe get overdrafted based on, you know, what he has done. You know, if he would have, if he stays for a senior, is he a guy that's going to give you kind of just similar and not continue to show that upward arc? Um, you know, in the, in the, in the Clemson game, the national championship, eight total tackles, two and a half for loss. 
including a half sack. Uh, you know, so he was he was all over the place. He really was, uh, and a, a guy that I, I think probably could be at, at at worst a rotational player in the at the next level, and uh, you know should should be a contributor at some point uh, for a team. Maybe it's the Bengals. I would I would say you know you probably think no higher than a third round pick on a guy like that, which is where the Bengals like to draft linebackers quite often, especially recently. So we'll see if he's, if he's in the cards there going forward. One guy that I personally kind of like, and uh, that was just mentioned in our, by Rob Duncan in our live YouTube chat, Thaddeus Moss, uh, the, the son of, He's kind of a he's kind of a tight end for the Tigers, the son of Randy Moss. You see the stats here up on the uh, weird, weird kind of career trajectory here for him. But this last year, twelve games, forty-seven catches, five seventy yards, uh, four touchdowns. Not an overly fast guy. Uh, pretty big. He's about six three, six four, about two hundred forty pounds. Uh, kind of a nice red zone short yardage threat. Made quite a few plays for the Tigers down down the stretch here. Kind of conflicting opinions about him, though, John. It feels like some people think that, you know, he's at best a day three, maybe even a late day three guy. Some people think that he could be a date a night two guy. What do you think about him? You know, when I was watching the game, um, my roommate was like, yeah, he looks pretty good. But he's kind of pudgy. I'm like, his name's Thaddeus. What do you really expect? I know, I know. Like, Come on, come on, Randy. Like, like I, I know you're from West Virginia, but Thaddeus, like, really? Like, I, I don't know. Uh, no, like, uh, I, I think he caught a touchdown. Uh, I've, yeah, he, he did. Yeah, he, he had, like, the first, like, three targets, I think, for Burrow, too. So he was apparently with, with Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. Thaddeus Moss was a part of the game plan pretty early on, which may, may speak to what, what matchups they saw against Clemson. But, yeah, in terms of just a, a nice possession guy, that, a nice guy that can get open over the middle, I think he has some value there on, on you know, when talking about the Bengals specifically, like, you know, there's not a lot of room for tight ends in, in terms of involvement in, on, in the offense. So, um, you know, the, the, the thing about LSU that you, you always loved before this year was that their offense did a great job of, of, of highlighting tight ends in the blocking game. And I don't really know how he is in that aspect. And that's obviously going to impact some part of his draft stock as well. But the bloodline is there. I, the athleticism is nowhere near his father, obviously, because he's just a different type of athlete. But the hands are there, and you know he might might just be a solid, a solid targeted guy late in the draft. So let's continue on with uh, some. And and I agree with you, by the way. And what one thing you know, I see a lot of people saying, you know, Moss looks kind of slow and a little a little cumbersome when he runs, type of thing. Not not exactly a burner, but and I agree. But you know, if you actually watch. If you watch that touchdown catch he made and kind of tight roped his way to right in front of the pylon, he's had a few plays like that. And I think that his footwork is really impressive for his size. And and he's uh he's he's a little more nimble, not necessarily straight line speed type of type of thing, but you know, he's got good feet and that'll help him in route running and all kinds of things. So, you know, I wouldn't be comfortable really spending too much too too much higher than a day three pick on him, but he could be a guy that, you know, could be a nice security blanket for a Joe Burrow. He is, by the way, Joe Burrow's like best friend on the team. So, uh, you know, may not be a bad idea to at least bring him in for 
a workout, a look, however it may be, may not be a bad idea if you really want to surround your quarterback right away with some comfortable player players he's comfortable with. And just real quick, like I'm, uh, another position that the Bengals don't need running back, but Clyde Edwards hilarious. Ooh, he's a fun player, man. I, he's so much fun to watch. That like DeAndre Swift from Georgia got a lot of hype uh, this offseason because he has like the best dead leg juke. But that that one against Clemson in their own red zone when he just ethered the guy out of existence, it was <laughs> man. It was like, like, like again, they don't need a running back, but every every team in some capacity needs a Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And if they have the chance to draft him on day three, I would I would heavily consider it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's keep going on the Tigers. What about Justin Jefferson? Um, you know, this is a kid who really over the past few weeks has really risen his stock as well. Um, it seems to me like he's a player that kind of does a lot of things pretty well, but he's not overly he's not overly dominant maybe in a lot of different in one specific category. I guess you could say with with the massive of, uh, amount of catches, uh, he's got good hands. 111 catches on the season. Um, you know, he, he is a scoring threat, 18 touchdowns. So a, a really nice season for him. Some people kind of think, you know, he is a guy that has played him, played himself into the first round conversation. Uh, some people think he's still top of second. What are your impressions of the kid? Do you think he is a, a number one receiver in the NFL? I think Oda Beckham thinks it because he slipped him about, yeah. $1,500 bills on the end of the game. Yeah. I didn't understand that one, but <laughs> oh, I understood. I just, I just questioned it. Uh, no, like it, my unprofessional and completely, yeah, my unprofessional take on is that every most like 80% of the highlights of Joe Burrow involved Justin Jefferson, in some capacity, like the, that one insane throw against Texas. That was Justin Jefferson. The one insane throw against Georgia. That was Justin Jefferson. Like you said, athletically doesn't really pop off the screen. He's not going to blow up the combine in capacity. He's just he's just a concise route runner. I think um, some would say he's the second best route runner behind a guy like Jerry Judy. Just a great feel for the position. Obviously productive in, in this system with, with a, a competent quarterback for once. The, the, you know the eighteen touchdowns is cool. I don't think he's a, a great jump ball receiver though. I think that's mainly been Joe Burrow's specialty of just throwing those black back shoulder fades that the cornerbacks have just had no chance on. Um, obviously Jamar Chase is the more talented guy. He won the Belinda Cuff Award for good reason. And you just look at who the Bengals have a receiver right now. They have a guy like Jefferson and, and obviously the, who Jefferson would love to become in Tyler Boyd. So that type of niche role is basically already filled. And they yeah. have a bunch of other guys that can kind of work underneath Stanley Morgan, Alex Erickson kind of fits the mold. And then you have a guy like Auden Tate who can you know, outbody guys. So in terms of where he would fit in this team, like he's still talented. And I think in the right scheme, he can still be a solid pro. It's just the lack of, you know, over the top athleticism, the, 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 you know, because he, like they, the, that offense needed Chase to really stretch the field vertically to, to yeah. allow Jefferson to, you know, work underneath. And I don't think this, you know, obviously working with Burrow would help because he's got the chemistry. But in terms of what they have right now, I don't think it would be the best, you know, um, role fit, I guess, for him because all the roles that he would succeed here are basically already taken with guys under contract. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up Tyler Boyd because when I was thinking about this in pre-show, and talking about Jefferson, I, I saw some similarities to what Boyd does 
with the Bengals. And you, you kind of have to have an internal discussion about the vision for your offense, right? I mean, there, there are kind of two schools of thought. You have a versatile, a, a, a diverse group of wide receivers where you've got, you know, do, do you want this group? The one with the big guy, Auden Tate, who is your red zone guy, your jump ball guy, that sort of thing. You've got Tyler Boyd, your Swiss Army knife guy. Maybe you keep John Ross. He's your deep threat. And then you add in a guy like Jefferson who does what Tyler Boyd does. Or do you want to do what the Rams did, kind of have some similar guys with similar skill sets, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, the yards after the catch. They, they kind of um, – you can kind of interchange them a little bit, that sort of thing. Um, I, I don't know. I, I It, it kind of – it depends on what the Bengals want. But I, I, I'm, I think I'm on the same page with you that I feel that – Jefferson maybe does a little bit what Tyler Boyd does. Um, where do you want to go next? I think we, we, we can go to the other team. We can we can stay at the position with T. Higgins for Clemson. Okay, um, go for it. Yeah, like I just remember last year in that championship game against Alabama, it was Justin Ross who really took over that game. Yeah, and then and then this year it's it's been Higgins who's been like the the main guy. He has thirteen touchdowns to Ross's eight. Uh, only receiver on that offense with over a thousand yards receiving. Uh, th- that one play, I think it was the reverse, um, the, the reverse handoff in the backfield, and he basically exploded down the left sideline and ended up getting in for I think what, what was I think Clemson's last touchdown of the game. So, uh, you know, there there were perceptions about him going into this game being not not like an Auden Tate guy, but you know, a guy that th- it's not going to wow you over the top vertically in in you know stack cornerbacks necessarily with, with pure speed, but the acceleration with the ball in his hands it was definitely kind of eye opening for someone who didn't watch a lot of him during the regular season, but there were a lot of draft pundits who were like, yeah, this guy's a lot more athletic than, than you may think, but he's 6'4", 215, and he's got a lot of ball production to his name. So, you know, I, I think in in the worst case scenario, if the Bengals don't retain AJ Green, he's a guy that I think could fit that role pretty good as just a pure pure X guy in the top of the second round. I think depending on how he, how he you know tests and whatnot, he brings a lot of the traits that would have been lost with AJ Green, a, a guy who can, you know, go over the top of a cornerback and run most of the route tree and can make, you know, damage after the catch. So I think Higgins has, you know, unlike Jefferson has a skill set that would be definitely in what the Bengals would need if they lose AJ Green. Yeah. And you look at, you look at the stats here. The big thing is the average yards per catch, right? Um, 20.3 is as a freshman and another 19.8 this last year with Clemson. So big play opportunities with him. 15.9 15.9 as a sophomore, nothing really to scoff at, but really when you're when you're hovering around the 20 yard mark for two of your seasons and you've got 27 receiving touchdowns in three college seasons, that's that's pretty good, I would say. Um, so intriguing guy. As as we all know, John, with especially in this draft class, this is a very stacked wide receiver draft class coming out these fringe guys that you said top around two for Higgins, maybe, you know, this is how these guys run and how they work out. Some of the numbers they put up, that's going to really dictate, you know, if they are going to be in that, in the first round and and be late risers, or if they're going to be a second, third round guy uh, a little later than we think. Let's, let's end it here. By the way, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, and we're doing some a different version of our prospect watch list, kind of talking through some guys on uh, that we saw in the national championship game. Let's, let's talk about, uh, I think he's going to be eligible, A.J. Terrell, the cornerback of, of Clemson. Um, I, I thought, you know, initially 
I thought it was a, a valiant effort <laughs> along with uh, many other Clemson Tiger players. But, uh, you know, as, as Joe Burrow kind of had his way, there were some exposed areas of that, of that defense. What do you, what do you, what's your take on Terrell? Yeah. The Terrell's guy that I highlighted on this show, Uh, the prospect to watch. And I think you saw a lot of the things that make Terrell a good prospect and also make him very questionable in terms of where, where he might go. The length, the physicality is there with his handwork when he, when he's in bumper on coverage, but you saw him get kind of exposed and run defense a couple times yep. with some poor tackling. And then for the most part, for the, for the first you know quarter and a half, he was handling Jamar Chase pretty well. And then unfortunately he got burned and maybe potentially pushed off on the first touchdown of the game. But yeah. regardless, like there's a lot of, there's a lot to like, but there's a lot that makes you say this guy kind of looks like Drake or Patrick. And, you know, with Dre, there's, there's some good, there's some bad. I don't know if Bengals fans want to go through that again, but you know, the, again, it'll be interesting to see how he tests. I think he's got a decent resume to him, a guy that can go in the, in the second day of the draft. The Obviously, the pedigree that comes from Clemson helps, but, you know, the, there's some traits like this trace or not. I feel like I would be remiss if we, if we didn't mention potentially, you know, potentially the best player who's not Joe Burrow in this game is Isaiah Simmons. And if the Bengals yeah. had a quarterback, I would advise them to take Isaiah Simmons. Yes. He, yes. He's a god. <laughs> uh, yeah. Isaiah Simmons is a man among boys on defense. He's He is a guy who kind of did it all. Um, you know, he, he I think he had a sack in the game lining up off the edge. He was moving laterally in the middle of the field, making plays. Very, very impressive player. Is he he's supposed to be a first round guy? I mean, right? He's supposed, supposed to be top ten. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. Top fifteen. I, I was what I was going to say. So, um, very, very impressive, very impressive player, and a very impressive performance by Simmons. So, uh, really like that kid. What about uh, you know one guy? And well, we can end on this kid going kind of back to the Tigers. What about Chase on? Uh, you know, he was a guy that was a monster against Oklahoma, and I thought he kind of had some questionable plays against Clemson. Now, granted it's Clemson, but uh, you know, he didn't have the same big play impact. I didn't think this week kind of a, you know, tweener build uh, in terms of where he's going to be in the NFL. He's got the, the height maybe needs to bulk up a tiny bit, but a guy that, you know, may be in that mid first round. If, if, if people are so inclined uh, I thought he, you know, he, he kind of had some questionable moments in the national championship game after having a great college football game against Oklahoma the week prior. Yeah, and I think he, he pressured Lawrence a few times. And I think yeah. your opinion on Chase on comes down to how much you value pr- pressure against just tangible production because I think Chase only had like six and a half sacks this year and he's propped up as a potential first-round pick, which to me, you know, is kind of startling, but – uh, he tore his ACL, I think, in the beginning of last year, and this is his yeah. first real chance to start. But you look at the traits, the bend that he has is undeniable, and he can get, he can run around the arc, and he can lower his center, uh, he can lower his core and rotate his shoulders, and he can avoid being, you know, punched by an offensive tackle, and he can bend around the edge better than maybe almost anybody in this class, aside from maybe like a Chase Young. So the the traits are there, the production is not, and the fact that he's so young, I think he's only twenty years old. It, it does benefit him from getting better as he progresses in his career. It, it just depends on what team in the first round is going to take that chance that that production eventually comes because the, the pressure is the pressure that he can generate is definitely there. The traits of an elite pass rusher are there. It just hasn't been actualized yet. 
Yep. So a lot of a lot of interesting players that were on the field. Obviously, all eyes were on Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence, rightfully so. But there were a a number of great players outside. Oh, he's he tapped the red solo cup. He's he's uh, the seltzer. The seltzer is has been imbibed. Uh, yeah. So a lot of different players that. Really, kind of, I don't want to say fl- flew under the radar, but um, with such the spotlight shining on the two quarterbacks, you know, it, these guys kind of became a little bit of an afterthought. And uh, you know, I, I did keep an eye on on a lot of them, though. So, uh, good stuff, John. Good stuff. Do we want to do free agents as well? Yeah, go ahead. Well, why not? All right, we're going to do a free agent spotlight because free agency is actually happening before the draft. The Bengals have quite a few needs, so uh, we've got a few minutes before we we get out of here. Um, we're we're going to maybe try to to do this as well as the prospect watch, where we kind of continually talk about some impending free agents that the Bengals could target. Now, obviously, we have to play within the confines that is the Cincinnati Bengals in free agency. Um, affordability, uh, needs, affordability. Did I mention that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, mention it again. Mention it again. Yeah. Affordability. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we kind of have to play in, in, in those confines. So, uh, you had, I believe, was it an offensive lineman you wanted to highlight? Yeah. So we're going to start with Zach Taylor's former team. We'll see where we end at the end of the segment. But I'm going to go with Austin Blythe. And, you know, obviously Bengals fans are going to be interested in whether what, what Andrew Whitworth does. Apparently the rumor is that he's going to go back and resign with the Rams. So that's going to cost them money. And they potentially cannot pay everybody on the offensive line. And the offensive line really struggled this year. And Blythe was unfortunately a part of that struggle. But I'm talking about the 2018 version of Blythe. The guy who got who was the first-year starter in 2018 at the right guard spot. The, the spot that I think is going to receive – the most competition aside from right tackle, you know, I, I think they're not entirely satisfied with John Miller based off the reports of Paul Daner Jr. So we could see a potentially a veteran signing at that position, if not a high draft pick. So Blythe is a guy to watch, a guy who's entering free agency for the first time, started his career with the Colts for a year, but then moved to the Rams when they got good and hired McVay and has breakout year in 2018 at the right guard spot. A guy from Iowa, I believe. So he's well accustomed to the zone blocking that the Bengals want to run, but didn't have the personnel to do so. Blythe gives them an option, another body, an athletic body that can allow them to run some more outside zone and stretch concepts. And when he was a full-time starter in 2018, uh, he was one of the best, you know, one of the best young guards in the league at the time. Unfortunately, this year, that entire offensive line regressed. He started the entire second half of the season at center due to injuries. And in the beginning of the 2018 season, didn't really have that good of a right uh, of a year at right guard. There's a lot of you know weird stuff going on with that offense this year, and I don't think it's entirely indicative of the individual individual talent on that offensive line. But he was tasked to do a lot more. But I think the athleticism is still there, the the ability to re- to, to reach you know shaded nose tack shaded three techniques and climb into the second level is still there. I think he's a body that is going to be relatively cheap compared to what other guards on, on top of the market are making. And gives them an opportunity to do what they really want to do. So I think in terms of competition for John Miller, that's not in the form of a day two draft pick. I think Blythe is the guy to look for in terms of where their price range is going to be. Yes, uh, some snapshot uh, stats here, courtesy of PFF in 2019 for Austin Blythe. Uh, offensive snaps played tied for 17th, tied for 21st in terms of three penalties, and tied for 10th with two sacks allowed last year. 
uh, I think we can look up. Yeah, so if you look up 2018, uh, zero sacks allowed. He did have the two penalties there and a much – he had a 24.1 uh, or 24-point raise in um, – or I guess drop, however you want to look at it, 24-point drop in 2019 from his PFF grade in 2018. So, um, you know, which which guy are you getting? Um, that's It seems to be the question with a lot of prospects and a lot of guys in free agency. Which guy are you getting? You're getting 2018, you're getting 2019, you're getting somewhere in the middle. Um, somewhere in the middle, I, I think, would be okay. Uh, do, you, do you see him as a starter? Do you see him as a guy that can – or is he a spot guy or kind of a fight for I don't know. What? I, I see him in the same vein as Miller, a guy who can okay. start for the for the right team, a guy who can compete. I think they're going to value the fact that he's played all three spots in the, on the interior and the fact that, you know, he's not this established guy who is who's a consistent high value starter because if he was, I think the Rams would have more interest in bringing him back. But again, I think the athleticism is there. I think the 2018 tape still exists. Taylor obviously remembers what he did when when he was there. And, you know, you know, just, just being, you know, ne- next to a more competent center in Trey Hopkins, potentially against the more competent Fred Johnson at right tackle, it, it could bring out the best of him in, in terms of what he could do on, on a second contract. Yeah, and I'll kind of go uh, with the guy I wanted to highlight here. I'll go a little low-hanging fruit because we've talked about him a lot, and he is a guy that I think a lot of people have pegged because uh, he is – a guy that uh, is at a position of need. He's young. He might be a little pricey and might, you know, initially you might say, hey, this guy, you know, could come in and, uh, or is he on a restricted free agent deal? I'm kind of, I forget. Corey Littleton. Um, need to double check on that. But, I think he is a restricted free yeah, agent. Yeah. So the Bengals would need to give up some some stuff for him. But regardless, uh, you look at, you look at, what he has here, um, you know, very interesting player, active three and a half sacks, seven and a half the past two years. Um, you know, not. Oh, he's, he's unrestricted. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Unrestricted. So he, he may, uh, he may command a little more money than um, what, what people think he is. He's not really the pass rushing linebacker per se, the edge rusher, the tweener type of guy. So he won't get that kind of money, but he could get a little more money than what would be uh, what the Bengals are accustomed to spending, especially on a linebacker. But uh, they need some help. Uh, you look at you look at the the amount of tackles the past couple of years, 125 in 2018. Um, when he was a Pro Bowl player, and then 134 last year. So quite a few, um, 168 solo tackles the past two seasons as well. So that is pretty impressive. Uh, Active guy, big guy. He's, uh, I think, 6'3", about 230. So, you know, a guy that can do a lot of different things for your defense and really shore up things. You know, my my thing is this, John. If – if the if the Bengals were to make a couple of moves like an Austin Blythe, where even if he's a marginal upgrade or even a somewhat lateral move on the offensive line, and then they get kind of the one of the better linebackers on the market and set to hit the market in Corey Littleton, the thing is then this even if it's just decisions you make in the in free agency, it opens up the draft and you can have fun with the draft. You can get some of these guys to load up on on offense, right? You if you if you get a Corey Littleton, you can go into the draft and say let's 
let's load up on some of these skill position guys. Let's get a Moss. Let's get a Jefferson, a guy that Burrow knows. So there's an automa- there's automatic chemistry that's built there. Because we've taken care of linebacker, one of our biggest needs in free agency. So to me, I, I think you need to really look. You don't need to make you know A-plus signings in free agency and really put yourself in immediate salary cap hell. But the Bengals have quite a bit of space to play with. They could use a guy like Corey Littleton. I, I don't know that he'd ever be a Pro Bowl player for them once again like he was in 2018, but he's a guy that um, – makes a lot of tackles, is around the ball quite a bit, is very athletic, and uh, could be, you know, should be familiar to Zach Taylor, who was on that staff. So to me, I think Littleton makes a lot of sense. We've talked about him before on this program. Uh, I, I like the fit. I also like the fact that he is, I think, 26 years old, uh, not set to turn 27 until November. So when you're signing him, he will still be 26 years old. You sign him to a three, four-year deal, what have you. You know, you've got a guy right up until he's 30 years old. And then, uh, you know, at that point, you can cut bait if, if that's what you want to do. But you're getting him for supposedly the prime of his career. And if you look at the stats I mentioned from 2018, 2019, when he hit year three and year four, you're seeing a guy who hit his stride. You're seeing, you know... Five interceptions the past two seasons combined. Seven and a half sacks the past two seasons combined. Um, like I said, uh, an immense amount of tackles the past couple of seasons. So uh, I really like the kid. It's going to cost more than the Bengals are probably used to spending. But if you do that and then you kind of stick to maybe some of the same players that they are accustomed to signing in free agency, that would make it a win. Yeah, and the thing to to love about Littleton did did you say did you say he went to a Pro Bowl in twenty eighteen? Was he a Pro Bowl? I thought I thought he did. Yeah. yeah wow, I, I did not know that because I feel like I feel like I remember um, and before the beginning of the season he was like being talked as a potential like um, like uh, a, a cut uh, before the final rosters came out or something because he had like whatever some some type of character she's but regardless. Over the past two seasons, uh, 2018 had a coverage grade from PFF of 87.2, 2019 coverage grade of 82.3. He's, he's a good player in the NFL at this point. Four years into the league, 26 years old, he's got you know proven track record of, of being a valued member, a valued linebacker in the modern NFL. And like you said, like the Bengals are going to have Pratt at linebacker. They have Vigil as a free agent. They have Jordan Evans for one more year. Like, and they're going to you know cut Hardy Nickerson and, and Leroy Reynolds. If they don't sign a linebacker for agency, they're gonna have to rely completely on the draft for like multiple picks and potentially a couple undrafted guys to even fill out that position group. So I, I don't know if they're gonna feel forced to sign a linebacker for agency, but it kind of feels that way to actually get you know four or five decent guys at the position group because if, if they don't like like they only have seven picks right now. I don't think they're gonna take multiple linebackers. They like they 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 did they did this past year and they ended up cutting Deshaun Davis before the season began. So Littleton is a guy that obviously Taylor knows. Um, it, he, he could be their most expensive guy, and I think most people would be satisfied with that because he's now a proven player in the NFL, you know, playing for a guy that he's played with before. So I, I think it's possible as their one big splash signing because he brings you know, value to what they don't have and because that position group in itself is going to be completely eviscerated from a, from a roster standpoint, and they just need bodies there in general. So might as well spl- splurge when you can when you have the space. Yeah, 
make uh, he did make the Pro Bowl in, in 2019 or or for the 20 uh, for the, I believe it was the the 2018 season. Um, so he did make it. He was designated per the Rams website. He was designated as a special team starter. I think he does play on special teams, so I think that's part of it. But I think also, you know, so many of the the linebackers that are taken to the Pro Bowl are these edge rusher type linebackers, those those sort of guys. So they needed kind of a traditional linebacker, and they said he was a special team starter. He does contribute on special teams, but um, you know. He's a guy I think that that would immediately come in and, and change the, the complexion of a defense. Um, gives you you know a, a great great flexibility in the draft I think because then you can really focus on the offense with the high picks if you wanted to do that. Um, and, and you know the future looks bright with a guy like Littleton and Pratt next to each other in my opinion. So probably not going to happen realistically speaking because I think he's just going to be priced out of the Bengals budget, but a guy that I think could really help them right away if they choose to sign him. Good stuff, John, a lot to get to tonight. I'm, I'm glad my voice didn't fully give out. I've got a little bit of the sniffles or something. My kid keeps giving me this, the, the bugs, man. I keep, uh, I keep getting the creepy crawlies from the little guy, but um, the creepy crawlies. Yeah. The little, the little, the little bugs. Uh, but uh, good stuff. We got to a lot tonight, including, Joe Burrow, the media's narratives about the Cincinnati Bengals and their holding of the number one pick and potentially taking Joe Burrow. We got to many of the prospects that we witnessed in the national championship game. And we got to a couple of free agents that the Bengals should be targeting. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. This has been the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sharon. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this show on a variety of different audio platforms. Subscribe to those channels. Get every episode as they come out, as well as our YouTube channel. And keep it to CincyJungle.com for all your news, opinions, analysis, breaking news, this show, all kinds of stuff on CincyJungle.com. And I believe, John, next week, is next week the week you're at the Senior Bowl, or is this is this when you'll be, or is it the week after? Wait, wait, give us the dates. You, you keep teasing us with this. When are you there? Oh, you want you want you, you want to know my whole itinerary? I don't right now. Know that. No, I don't need. Oh, okay, well, <laughs> my flights my flights Monday night. I have a I have a a joining flight in Atlanta. I'll meet up with Joe Goodberry <clears> there, <throat> and we'll we'll get to the hotel Monday night. Then I'm leaving mobile uh, mobile. Sorry, they get really sensitive when you say that wrong. Friday morning. So I'll be there from Tuesday to Thursday to cover the three practices should be here on a regular schedule t- programming for Wednesday for the podcast. Okay. Sounds good. And uh, so you will not, you will be, will we need to get you by phone or you will be back. I'm... Oh no. Like, I, like I'll be available to call in, but I won't okay. be here, yeah. here for, for Wednesday. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Well, uh, we look forward to that. That'll be cool, man. It's the third year, second year you're doing it. Third year. Won't get to talk to Joe Burrow because he'll be in California uh, training or and or celebrating. But I hope to talk to Zach Taylor and or his assistants. So hopefully get that content for you guys. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. We appreciate you getting us some good coverage down there. And for your contributions to this show and the Since Jungle website, you, you kill it, man. Love it. Despite despite a, uh, a seltzer overload, you kill it, dude. Yeah, I'm on Monsteltzer like 300 out of 840 that I'm supposed to drink this week. So wish me luck. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> check that liver. Check that liver. Make sure it's all right. Shout out Pitbull, 39th birthday. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, and go to Cincy. Was it Cincy Shirts? Yeah, CincyShirts.com, um, located here in Cincinnati. Uh, if you're in Cincinnati, definitely check out one of their stores. If you're not and you want a shirt, um, definitely order it because they are running out of inventory. They are making them. Like I walked into the store, say, sort before I even said anything. He said, "You probably want a spoken Jewish shirt." I'm like, "Yep." Well, that's all we're making right now. That's literally all their inventory is. But the demand is high. The inventory is now is, is lowering by the second. If you're not ordering and you want one, stop what you're doing and go to CincyShirts.com. Well, it's it's a quality shirt, my friend. It's a quality shirt, and uh, a lot of people in the live chat seem to enjoy it. So uh, go go to CincyShirts.com to get that, and uh, I may have to get one, man. I may have to get one. You absolutely should. All right. Take it easy, everybody. We'll see you next episode. Uh-huh.